Let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Our speaker for today is Arthur D. from Dallas, Texas. He's speaking from the Whiskey and Milk Group in Dallas, Texas, September 2018. And just a short introduction by someone else. Here it goes. Oh, man, I get the privilege of introducing Arthur Deller. Um, There's one part in the book that actually stands out when I think about Arthur, and it's on page 51. And it says that many hundreds show how the change came over them when... Um, with these hundreds of people were able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives. They present a powerful reason why one should have faith. And um, I was probably about nine years sober when I met Arthur. And I had been, um, quote unquote, doing the deal of working these steps and sponsoring and going to H&I and helping lots of women, and he looked at me one night and at Starbucks with some other people, and he said, you don't know anything about God. And I felt hurt. Um, but the truth is, is I was doing a lot of doing, and I wasn't doing a lot of trust. And I wasn't being and relying on a power. And when it comes to this section on 51, I didn't know the consciousness of the presence of God in my own life. And sat before me this man who um, he could say that that was the most important fact in his life. And I don't uh, doubt that that's true. Um, Arthur is a man of many words, but he also is <laughs> he's also showing that with his feet. Um, when he talks, I listen. So I'm very, very excited to get you. To hear him tonight, and I'm so excited that you do. Can you all hear me? I'm a soft talker. Um, thanks, Ashley. I just almost started to cry. Damn. I don't cry often. I want to thank Wesley for asking me to come out here and tell my story. Thank you. Um, Before I start, there's only one reason I'm here anyway. It wasn't because Wesley asked me. It's because someone used Wesley to ask me to come here. And I trust that that voice who got me clean, freed me from the bondage of self, puts me standing here today. Um, I hope some of this stuff you you can really relate to take it away, turn it on in your life and see what happens. So I'm going to bring that power into this room. We, we said that's running your prayer, but i got to bring it in. Okay. So, you know, someone asked me to come here and tell my story, and I was thinking about it today. Just briefly, I said, you know, This whole world is made of stories. We tell stories and we're usually narrating our own story. And I usually have that voice inside my head that's telling me what's going on in my life rather than experiencing what's going on in my life. 
And I lived like that for my pretty much up until about 15 years ago. And I stopped buying that story. So what I'm going to ask you is not to believe a word I'm going to say, but to map your experiences to some of mine. And if they stick on that map, maybe some of the directions I can point out that I took, you guys can take. If not, you'll just enjoy me talking for an hour. So I'm going to condense my using part. Um, I'm a recovered drug-addicted alcoholic. I love the taste of crack cocaine. I love the smell of cocaine. Immensely, even to this day. But something uh, happened to me. I laid down the letter of this law and let it go, and I picked up the spirit of it. And that only was through, initially it was through grace. And I talk about grace sometimes because it took grace to get me into these rooms. But they didn't keep me here. They protected me and got me here, and then it took some power to take over. You know, I understood what my problem was a long time before I walked in here. I just couldn't do anything about it. My problem was what everyone kept telling me. You're a dope fiend. You're a drug addict. I don't want you living here. I don't want you working here. Police usually confronted me and weren't the kindest. And I would usually mock them and say, you should have saw me how wasted I was last night. You're lucky you didn't catch me. And that was all ego and it was all bullshit, really. So I'm going to get into... The difference between letting go absolutely, utter defeat, abandoning myself, and what it looks like in a trusting and relying relationship on a power that absolutely used everything it possibly could to get me here. And I cooperated by using everything I possibly could to get me here, too. And I used everything I could to get here. So... Single mom, five kids, welfare in five states. My dad's a safe robber. He's in prison all the time. I'm in orphanage, foster care, foster care, juvenile detention for two years. I'm on my own at 14. Never made it past the eighth grade. I take my first hit at 12 years old. Everyone else was like, are you high? Are you high? We're passing around this quart of Miller High Life, the shittiest beer you could probably drink at the time. I think it was 79 cents for that quart. And we're burning a joint. And I didn't feel high. I felt together. I felt peace. I felt like I can come out of my shell. I didn't feel afraid. I didn't care what you thought anymore. And that started uh, an every single day journey to get high again. Every single day. I, I can't remember when I stopped until I got separated from it a few times. So I get out of there and uh, get out of juvenile detention. My mom ends up moving to Dallas, and she moved in an unorthodox way. I come home from work. I'm working at a very young age in the city. I live up in Queens, New York, if you couldn't tell. And I come home and everything's gone, and there's a note saying I just can't handle it anymore. I was like, okay, this is, see, to me, that wasn't abnormal anymore. That was how things went. I usually got abandoned and rejected, and I got used to that. I was robbing houses. 
I was protesting for the IRA, and I'm not Irish. Right? I have a mohawk, and I'm pretty much batshit crazy. I'm actually in full flight from reality. I'm an outright mental defective. I can't differentiate true from false. And I didn't think so. I thought I did. I thought I knew what was going on. But I was driven by fear, and I was scared. And I wanted to just be okay. And what happened was I have this idea in my life that if I can just get something outside of me to make it okay inside of me, I'm going to pursue that. And I tried a lot of things to do that. Especially this, so that seeker in me used its attention to seek something in you so that you could give me the attention back. And that felt good. That felt good. That filled another hole because I didn't get attention when I grew up. I was a... I was a lonely kid in a room of people. You know, I'm fast-forwarding, smoking crack, holding a handgun, taking Ambien to try to come down, doing hydrocodone to try to do something. <laughs> and I'd been smoking crack since before crack was out. I was smoking it when it was uh, when we were freebasing back in 1984. I'm in New York. I break my leg at Reunion Arena. That predates anyone who only knows about American Airlines. Does anyone know about Reunion Arena? Not many. So I, I snap my leg, and uh, they put me in the hospital. My, my buddy takes my motorcycle. Two months later, I stick it in a trailer and drive up to New York. I've got a cast up to here. Still got a mohawk. And... Um, I wiped that bike out on a bridge going from Staten Island to Brooklyn. The state trooper laughs at me and says, get up and go put your money back in the change plaza, the toll plaza. So I'm hobbling back there. He, I have to flip the motorcycle off me. He didn't help me at all. A week later, I sold it for a grandma coat. I needed to, I needed to feel something different. Um, DWIs, lost marriages. Blameless children, you know. I was doing everything that they said I would do. And guess what? None of that makes me an addict. Not one thing. Because I know people that are non-alcoholic addicts have worse experiences than that. Worse consequences than that. I've been to jail for aggravated assault, assault, fine crack, public intox. Doesn't make me an addict. Yes. I can't. So what makes me an addict is that when I'm not on something, I want to be. And I'm obsessed until I can get that candy. And I am freaking out inside. I'm tight. I'm wound. My chatter is loud. My gut is wrenched. My vibration level is high. And I'm not okay. And that thought repeats itself a hundred thousand times an hour. Just do another hit. And I can't anymore. I've stopped using the drug. It was using me. It was using my life to feed off me. And so what had happened was I would then give in because I had no way I wasn't going to give in. I was too wound tight. I had to have that feeling released again, like that first joint in that quarter beer when I was 12. And I couldn't get that feeling to go away. 
So what happened was right before I took that hit and during it, there was another voice going on. And it was the voice I wouldn't listen to. And it was my body saying, please don't take that. Please don't take that. Because the moment you take that, I'm taking off full speed. And here's what would happen. Check yourselves if this maps to you. See if it worked. I would take that hit to shut the noise. My head would feel great and go, ah. And my body would fly out of the cage like a rabid dog. And I would be then on the streets, hanging out at motels on Harry Hines and Dolphin and Samuel. Just, or check this out. Or driving from Corpus to Dallas to buy crack. You can buy it six miles from Cor- in Corpus, man. But the idea hit me, well, I, there's probably some better stones up here, you know. So I was on my way. But what happened at that point was now my mind was screaming, please don't take it. My body was saying, please go get it for me. That's what makes me an addict alcoholic. Not the things that happened to me, not because mommy didn't hug me enough. I would have liked that. I didn't get it. But because when I'm not using and I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm not well, I'm wanting to get well. Who relates to wanting to get well, to feel okay? Well, the hard part is, can I make that jump from that utter defeat to that full-on trust and reliance on a power? Because that's the only way. Because every hit I ever took and every shot of dope I ever did and every drink I ever meant I'm telling you, in hindsight, I didn't know this going forward. My God is believed through a rearview mirror. Oh, shit, he did all that? That's how I felt. I couldn't see it coming, and I couldn't trust it coming. But I could see the protective nature that this power had over my life. I could see the amount of times I was given more than I deserved, and I wasn't given what I was deserving of, which was probably a lot of punishment and beatings. So... There came a point, and I've been coming to recovery since 1986 when they made me come. They handed me a piece of paper with 32 signature slices on it, and they said, uh, this is a result of your DWI. Go to DWI school and go to um, 32 meetings. I went to one meeting, and I realized I can get three or four different colored pens and pencils, and, and I filled it out in about seven minutes. And I waited a while and I turned it in no one ever said a word managed that got away with it didn't get harassed didn't have another problem with that by the way currently I was on 8 years uh, deferred adjudication for an aggravated assault with intent to kill and I fleed the state and so I had interstate felony flight from Texas I end up in New York, I move to Delaware, in the middle of the night I move out of Delaware, I'm, I was all messed up, and I moved to Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm just running, man, I'm scared. I get popped by a drug task force in Ohio, and I got this 74 Dodge Dart with a brand new BMW stereo in it. So strange, it had this dim lights in the dash and this bright orange square radio. And they have us out on the snow at 3 o'clock in the morning on our faces, and they go over everything pretty harsh and I go I'm going I'm going away for a long time I have this uh, felony charge on me and I ran and they didn't find it and I felt like that was a wake-up call and I wrote the judge and I was savvy again trying to control everything I stuck the letter 
in another envelope, mailed it to my mom and had her send it from New York so that they would not see the postmark coming from where I was. Um, I didn't have cell phone then. This was 86. And I, I got reinstated and I got back here and it didn't get better. I was having dope sent to me from New York because cocaine was better up there because Colombians were bringing it in and Texas really wasn't getting good coke at the time. And so I'm freebasing my own dope. And I can't stop, man. And I don't really want to. There's a eight to ten years of zero amount of income I earned during that time. I have three children, a wife, and zero income. I was using her, I was using society, and I wasn't growing up. See, and what really happened to me, fast forwarding, was I had 11 years of recovery, but I didn't have one day of freedom. And that 11 years of recovery was done through, uh, through AA. And this time in, I had a sponsor tell me, please don't take offense to this. He said, addicts die in AA. I said, what do I do? He goes, well, go get a book. Because he said, you know the book better than me. He goes, go get a book, a brand new one. And I said, oh, cool, I'll go get one. No, no, get a big one. I said, I don't want to carry a big one. I didn't want to carry anything that, like, I didn't want a billboard in my hand, you know? He goes, and I don't want anything in it. Because I don't want you to read your highlights anymore. I want you to read it like it's a fresh, clean slate. And I want you to practice the set-aside prayer regularly because what you know has kept you high for a very long time. And it keeps you from getting free. And he was right. And I didn't like hearing that. But I listened. And I took it in and I internalized it. I got into recovery. My last night out was, was horrific, man. I mean... I blew 20 grand in a month after about five week run after a relapse. Uh, the last night, I have about $750 worth of dope. Three different types in three different piles. I'm, I'm on Ambien and I'm cooking dopes, smoking crack, and I'm making my own capsules of pure hydrocodone. And then I started snorting hydrocodone. And then I started thinking SWAT teams were coming. Anyone ever have that? <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. Maybe the crack. <laughs> Just maybe. <laughs> but I'm standing there and I'm pacing like a rabid dog and I've got a pistol in my hand and I've got another one in my drawer and they're fully loaded, one in the chamber of safety off. And I think they're coming. For real. This time they're coming. See, every time they were coming, but they never showed up. And I was delusional enough to believe they're coming. But this time they were coming. And my smart ass thought, if I'm holding a gun, they ain't gonna fuck with me. They're gonna kill me. They aren't even gonna ask a question. I should have put that thing down, hid it under a pillow, or had them taken from me. My wife said, uh, what are you doing? She had never seen me high, ever. And I was like, <laughs> I'm serious. Man. It was like Scarface. I was like, I have my face was full of white. And I was like, 
I have never felt this good in my eyes and the veins in my neck. And I'm holding this pistol and she looked at me and she goes, I'm scared. And she left the bedroom and slept in the other room first time ever. And I went at it all night. All night long. I did all that dope. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I was being used to do that dope. It was feeding See, when they talk about we can be possessed of a new power, I was possessed of a different power that was using me to get high off of my life force, to wipe my family out, to destroy my career, to destroy everything I owned. You know, I'm a kid who came from a really broke, broken, messed up family, you know, hardcore street living style New York kid. And I had a life now. I had gained some stuff back. I gained a career. I had things, and none of it was enough. You know, I was driving a fine European automobile. I had a double six-figure job, and I would have thrown it all away for one speck of just a break. I didn't even want freedom. I just, give me a fucking break, man. Inside, I was cratering. That night, I'm tweaking with my remote control that my friend set up my flat screen and sound system, and it ain't working. So 1.30 in the morning, I'm texting. You know how it is? <laughs> Come fix this, bro. He goes, it's 1.30. <laughs> I said, I am not able to watch my flat screen with this remote. I can't get it to work. Just take the batteries out. Da-da-da. Needless to say, he goes, I'll come over tomorrow. I said, yeah, you need to do that, man. What time are you eating? He goes, 1 o'clock. I said, thank you. Well, I didn't sleep. I was up all night, ran the dope down, and around 10 in the morning, I was just about out, and I got scared. See, I had enough dope in me to kill two small children. But see, once the dope was running out, I wasn't high anymore, even though I was so high <laughs> that... You know, I should have been hospitalized, right? I was so high. I was so high that every hit I did, I would lay on the floor listening for that same SWAT team to come in. I could hear their cars pulling up the street. You know, I was believing this. I was losing my mind. Full flight from reality. And all of a sudden, I see this car pull up. I go, oh, shit. And I was just about to split. It was Glenn to come to fix the remote. He's going to mess up my high. He opens the door. And I didn't, I wanted to say this, can you come back at one? I swear I wanted to say that because I needed to go out and get more. And instead I said, I've been smoking crack and I can't stop. And I was shaking. And all he did was grab me and he hugged me and my arms fell. And I just went, oh, and it was over. Right then, it was over. It was over. I knew it was over. He said, let's go to a meeting. And I said, Yes. Yes, I, there was no more. I gave in right there. I was defeated. Did it look like I was defeated from the outside? Nope. Not at all. I had a million dollars. A badass car. My house is pretty much paid for. Shit ton of stock. I had to give every single bit of it away at that moment. And something suspended me that, see, there was like that magic potion, grace, 
matched with timing, matched with that moment of clarity and that willingness, and it was that perfect combination. It didn't come easily, and I had to seize on that moment right then. There wasn't going to be another moment. See, if I missed that moment, that window, it could be years more because it was years for me because the moment I pick up, I don't hang around y'all. I go parallel universe. I, I live at night. I sleep all day. And eventually I pawn everything I own. And then everything you might own. If I come over. You know? That Canon camera looks nice. I need to use your bathroom. And all of a sudden I have it. I'm not kidding. That's how I was operating. I go to a meeting. I walk into the place where I had 11 years, 10 years sobriety, spoke from the podium, shared at meetings, sponsored people. And I picked up that desire chip and I was petrified to do it. I was broken. And my ego didn't have enough resistance that, that day to say, don't do that. Go pick up a chip that, wham, you, no one knows you there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or any group. Just go pick up a chip somewhere else. I walked up and I, people were floored, man, because I sat in the back seat where that homeboy in the gray t-shirt is. And I said, I squirreled my way all the way around, came up, and I got that desire chip. And people were blown away because they knew me. They didn't know I was high. And now they knew. And I knew. And something happened, though. And I say this, not many people you might notice, but that crash site right there, when I hit that morning... That was the launch pad for being rocketed into a new way of living. And it happened right from that spot. I didn't get to say, oh, man, that sucked. Ooh, let me get together a little bit. Let me get my life squared away. Let me get some time. Then I could take off from there. Nope, I didn't get a choice. Because what happened in that utter defeat, that absolute crushing blow I took, that doomed state understanding, is I got introduced to a power because it was the grace that got me back. And that power occurred that moment. It literally changed me. I surrendered in two ways. I, I knew the drug had me. I knew the liquor had me. I knew the lifestyle had me too because I liked it. Man, I liked it. I don't know why I liked it. I don't, I don't know why I liked hanging out with dudes holding pistols inside of motel rooms. <laughs> that I didn't know and who had names like player G friendly I'm like if we get pulled over I gotta know a real name a real name someone give me a real name and oh man, man what you talking about you know that kind of thing but something happened something happened that day and I remember I called Lisa and I said hey I'm gonna go to a meeting with Glenn she, she lives she, you are blew her away she goes are you serious I said yeah and I went that night and I came back and I went the next night and the next night and I kept going and I didn't want to go but something wanted me to go and I was cooperating now see I was cooperating with that power that possessed me to go get dope I was doing whatever it wanted to whenever it wanted to at all Times of the day and night at the expense of everything that I held dear. <clears throat> and I get to Tuesday. This was a Friday. On a Tuesday, I walk into the firing line 
which is Wham East. <laughs> and I, I walk in there, and I walk up to this dude after the meeting, and I said, I need some help, man. That's all I said. I didn't ask for a sponsor. I, and I said it with that same broken voice that I had when Glenn walked in. And this dude's sort of like an MM, MMA guy, you know. He's one of the, we'll call him pillars of the group, whatever that means. Don't be a pillar. Be a member. Sorry, that was my, my rant. He goes, what is it, bro? Is it pink or green? Don't want to offend. Is it women or money? And I said, no. He goes, you on paper? You got legal problems? I said, no, man. He goes, what's wrong? And I swear this is, again, didn't need, I didn't want this to come out. I said, I don't have God, dude. I spoke that. And he looked at me. He goes, man, I usually like to watch guys for a couple weeks to make sure that they're serious. They are in meetings. They want to do the deal. I said, I, that same cracked voice, I said, I don't have two weeks, literally. And he said, come over. And we began to take a journey together. And I began to suspend ideas, ideas that were killing me. And I began to have incremental, small moments of sanity return. They didn't land at one moment. The surrender moment happened, but I was just walking around this doomed, groundless, where do I go kind of guy. Point me and click me because I don't know what to do. I didn't ha yet have anything. I had a whole lot of knowledge about this book. I could like read full pages without looking at it. It was strange. But it wasn't helping me. It wasn't keeping me sober. And it, while sober, see, here's what happens. I go out and I come back in and I'm like, okay, I just need to stop using dope. I just need to stop shooting cocaine. I need to stop smoking crack. And see, and I get in and I stop that and I think, oh, good, I've stopped. That's good. Thank you, God, and I'm, I'm okay now. What I need to find out is why do I keep starting again? And how do I keep from starting again and restarting again and restarting again in that cycle and promising people with such Academy Award winning effect? You got to believe me this time when I don't even believe that I can do it. But I got a really good ability to convince you to believe that I'm going to stop this time. But it didn't work anymore. No one bought it. I went through the steps. He was a... Uh, a hands-off guy, though. He wasn't a micromanager. He didn't push me. He didn't have to. I actually tell guys I sponsor, I said, whenever they object or resist or rebel, I say, here's what you do. Call, call Doug. Just ask him anything. I'm not even going to fill your head with the thought to ask him. Just say, what was it like working with Art? And you'll hear what he tells you. And I'll just challenge y'all to do that if you ever run into him because I don't want to brag on myself. <laughs> because I did anything at any moment with no resistance he sends me 36 one hour tapes he goes listen to these and I only want you to write in the margin of your book in a black pen you got it it's black pens that's it I listened to all 36 twice and I didn't take three months I began to listen to them with headphones on with a pen over like maybe a week. I had nothing to lose except my life. 
And that was pretty much gone. So I did that. A few months later, I'm at his house, I'm writing inventory, wrote it, and I had my, I call it my second surrender. I'm sitting there, and I share with him inventory, we're looking at, revisiting, see, he's bouncing me from two to look how crazy I was, to three to look where I don't rely, and four, look what you do when you're out of alignment, look what you do when you, and I'm just seeing this, like, shell game, three-card money life, and I start realizing at my core, I am fucked. I am fucked. I, I, I literally turned to him. I said, I'm going to go. Um, I need to let her know to move. Because I, ha- I now had about four months sober, but I knew I wasn't going to make it. Because I was still trying to stay sober on the unaided will. And I used Doug, and I had got that resource, and I said... This guy is a pillar, and he's going to help me, and he's got the answer, and he's going to use the book. But I was using the letter of the law. I was using the functions and the process of the program. But I wasn't using their intention, which was to connect me to a power greater than myself that will solve my problem. My problem is I'm self-centered and driven by fear. And I can't get out. And I tried. And I looked at objects. Objects would be... Things I could buy, people I could control or be controlled by, shiny new things, rusty old things, whatever it took. Something other than me to make me okay and something definitely other than a power greater than me to make me be okay. And that day was my second surrender in this program because I knew I was not going to make it. Was not going to make it and I wasn't using. And I didn't think about using But I couldn't see how to break free from that selfishness that wrapped me in a cocoon and had me tightly in its grip. See, selfishness has billions of things at its disposal to to bring me right back into the game. The power has one thing. Truth. And everything I kept looking outward at See, and I was, I was always looking out, always looking out. Bill's story says, and this happened. I was inwardly reorganized. I had a new footing. My roots grasped a new soil. And I didn't know much about that. It's like entering that world of the spirit. My next function was to grow in effectiveness and understanding of that world. I didn't know what it was like. I had mental ideas. I heard what y'all said it was like, but I wasn't seeing anyone elevating above their problems that they told us we could do. Everyone was still slogging through quicksand talking about freedom. And I'm like, this isn't what they mean. This can't be what they mean because I won't make it if I walk that. I'm not going to make it. I'm not. He said, I want you to meditate twice a day, five minutes a day. Okay. I did that, and I felt that was a little weak, so I I went to 20 a day, twice a day, because if five minutes would work, 20 would be better, just like dope, right, just like dope, same effect, looking for something, and I remember nine months sober now, and you know, I told you guys I've been around since 86, but I had, uh, 
Since 93, this is great to, like, date myself. There's probably not even people born here in 93, are there? <laughs> right? 93. From 93 till now, it's 25 years, and I have about 23, in a so- 23 of them sober. With a lot of slices of getting wasted. And I knew it was going to happen again. Even though I'm meditating, even though I'm having these profound understandings, I knew something, I knew something was still missing. I knew it. And that's where no one could tell me what to do anymore. I had to start going inside. And I didn't want to. I wanted to look out. I wanted to perform for you, my sponsor, but for you. I want you all to see what I shared, hear what I shared. But I wasn't having deep and effective spiritual experiences. So I'm a, I, the irony, man, I smoke crack in my closet even though I have a fucking huge-ass house. <laughs> and I found myself sitting in my closet writing nightly reviews and praying. And I laughed one day. I was sitting there and I go, this is incredible. I'm seeking God in the same place I smoke rock. And I was laying on my face when I prayed. I just laid straight out like a s- swimmer. Because I felt like I needed to... Knees weren't enough for humility for me. Just not going to bring me down far enough. And I remember laying there and all of a sudden, at nine months sober, I get this inside feeling. It wasn't us audible. It was a feeling. And it said, it said this. You believe in the process of recovery to keep you sober. And it is blocking you from my power. And I stopped right then. I remember calling my sponsor. I said, nope, no more. I'm not going to do this anymore. And it was scary. Please don't try this at home. (laughs) I worked the steps fanatically, wholeheartedly, just as prescribed. And I followed it to the letter of the law, and it was choking me out. I set it down, and I turned my face to the sun. And I said, okay, show me. That was a big risk for me. See, I had to let go of old ideas of using and old friends I hung with and old places I hung out with. Now I had to let go of the thing that got me nine months away from that last run. And that was petrifying. And I did it. I put it down. Still was going to meetings with sponsoring guys, working the deal, speaking when asked to, part of the area committee, you know, committee. I think our social chair, and that was a blast. We had a good time. But that was the moment where I shifted from the many thousand on 50 to the many hundred. Because what I did is I let go of the most precious thing I could have at that moment, which was the freedom from the drugs that were killing me. And I didn't know if that was such a good idea, but I knew that I wasn't feeling the connection if I didn't let go. On 85, they talk about some really powerful things, and in 86 and on 87. They said we begin to trust this intuition, this inspiration. This 
insight that we gain. And on 55, it says, we finally saw that the great reality was deep down within us. And I stopped looking outside anymore. And I started going in for everything. And I began to find things about myself, and it was painful. It made, let me tell you this, it made my inventory look like a piece of crap. It made my inventory look like a joke. And I wrote a very, you know, we'll say, customized inventory. And it, and it was a joke. Because what I had never touched, what I had done, was I was superficially looking at the top of this table. This time I was boring through the wood. I was peeling it up. I was trying to find out what was really going on. I was getting to the root of my problem. And I was doing it inwardly. Meditation expanded. Spiritual understandings have expanded. And I began to hear myself talking in meetings or to people and realize those aren't my words. That's not me. And I would become as surprised at what I was speaking as the person listening to it. And I began to realize that I was now a funnel and not a bucket. That I wasn't here to acquire all these wonderful little trinkets and goodies like Halloween candy and say, look at what I've gotten when I got back home and pour them out on my bed and say, this is my safety net. I kicked my safety net out the window. And I don't have one today that's visible or mental. I have a safety net that wraps around me just like that dope did. But it isn't constricting the air out of me. It isn't choking me on every in-breath and let, not letting me get that out-breath. It is my breath. And it did something in my life. That I promise you, it'll do for you. But here is the caveat. There's ideas in the way. I'll guarantee it. Because if you'd have told me that that's what I had to do. See, I was looking, if I could do this, then I'll be. If I move here, then I'll be. And then if I, then I'll be. Dot, dot, dot. And it was never happening. I was never getting okay. I tried something new. When I let go of this viewpoint, when I let go of these opinions, when I dropped this idea. And what's so interesting, and I say this a lot to people that are close to me, is what I'm describing to you is, is the thing that I say I found this. I didn't find it. I removed the things that were blocking it from being realized. It was always there. I challenge you to look within. It's there. But here's something interesting. I would give up even that idea if I was prompted to, to go one more step further towards something I call the unknown, the mystery and away from what is known, which is my insanity. Because if I'm tossing the idea around, it's in a broken washing machine. It's not ever coming out. And I don't want to wear it if it did. I'm fortunate. Um, I retired a year ago, a little over a year ago. I spend my days waiting for what's next. And honestly, this is sort of tricky. I don't leave until I get something from central casting to go perform. Because I suffer when I exert myself, project myself, and 
propel myself into my life and into your lives. I begin to hurt myself. I set balls in motion. And wisdom, gained through that surrender, says, relax, take it easy, don't struggle so much, and the right thought will come. And all of a sudden, people ask me to come speak. Good luck, because I'll tell you this, I never know what I'm going to tell you. I never know. You can record these. I probably have 30 of these recorders in there. None of them are the same. None of them. You might hear about a mohawk. Maybe not. You might not. You might hear about me unplugging my kids' VCR while they're watching Lion King. You wouldn't have heard that today unless I had to go back and recall that. But you'll always hear this, and hopefully, listen, get on this frequency right here. Hopefully you're feeling that feeling in this room right now, because I do. If you don't, just quiet it a little more. It's right there. That's what is the presentation of what we have to offer. Not just freedom from alcohol and drugs, selfishness, and fear. All you've done is created just nothing. But the inclusion, the insight, the intuition, a reliance, being on that new footing when I sincerely made took such a position to rely on that power. And I only take that position because I'm absolutely convinced and I've conceded to myself that I can't trust me no more. Can't. So listen to this. If I can't trust me, please don't trust me. You feel me? Please don't. But if there's anything that I said tonight, if you can grok, if I bring you right back, we tie this all up, is you've heard a story I asked you not to believe it, but I said, if you can wrap your experiences and tack them up on this map that I've presented to you and the journey I've taken, and if you can maybe see yourself or feel yourself, more importantly, having felt those feelings of just sheer despair, loss, hopelessness, and then going through it, struggling, grinding it out, it ain't working, I don't feel it, what am I going to do? And then you get a sense Maybe a whiff, a hint that there's some freedom in what this cat's talking about. Grab it. I call it initially, it's just a thread and it's real small. They call it a reed, a flimsy reed. That sounds weak. And I pull that thread and it just keeps getting. And all of a sudden, look, I got this pile of fucking yarn. <laughs> and I keep getting more and more. It never ends what I'm getting out of this. And everything I've been given, which is nothing tangible, is to give it away to you. And I'd be remiss to stand here and to take anything from this. If I haven't poured myself out fully, bared myself, exposed myself, become vulnerable enough, and emptied myself enough to allow the spirit of the universe and to sit on that tip of that spearhead of the ever advancing creation of God's world then I have not done a damn thing here and if it has happened I've also not done a damn thing here thank you